0: That is your passion to extol the wonders and beauties of Christ. Who deserves that? Doesn't he? We're glad you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 16. Romans 16. Years ago, I worked as an electrician for the Navy over on Mare Island. And at the shipyard, we sometimes had these top-secret submarines come in that required a special clearance to work in certain sections of it. And the people working in those areas were given systems to work on, but in many cases, they weren't told what those systems were to be used for. They were just expected to, to keep busy at their work, while they were purposely kept in the dark, so things remained a secret. And only those with a very high clearance knew the big picture. Well, in the Christian life, believers are often busy at the work God has entrusted to them, right? You're busy serving and discipling and teaching and evangelizing. You're busy working on your system, doing your ministry, But sometimes it's helpful to be reminded of the big picture. And thankfully, God has given you a higher clearance so that you're not in the dark. And so what are we accomplishing? What is this work that we're doing? What is Christ's mission for his church? Well, every year about this time, we have missions month where we just take a few weeks to remind ourselves of that big picture. We want to know what the Lord is doing in the world and how what we're doing here fits into all that. And so we're going to take a break for a few weeks from Esther and we're going to leave Haman, as it were, hanging. And um, we'll get back to that in a few weeks. But as we've seen in the book of Esther, God has a plan that he's accomplishing. And that plan is a lot bigger than us but it includes people like us it includes people like mordecai and esther who were humble and faithful and so we want to look at the big picture these next few weeks and we want to see how that relates to us and how god has planned to use us to accomplish this great work that he's accomplishing And so, look at Romans 16. We're going to look at the last three verses and look at what Paul writes here. Here's how he concludes this letter. Now, to him, verse 25, now to him who's able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. These verses not only summarize what God is doing through the church and in the world today, but they actually summarize Paul's letter to the Romans which is about the gospel. The good news, what he calls here, the preaching of Jesus Christ. And this good news that we proclaim, Paul says, is God's message. This is not something we've made up or that he made up. It's God's revelation that he has made manifest through the scriptures of the prophets according to his commandment. And this good news about Jesus Christ has been made known to all the nations so this good news is not simply for the Jews it's for all people that they may come believe and Paul says and obey the gospel and that's the great work God is doing in the world through his church and beloved you have a part in this work of exalting Christ to all peoples And so what we want to look at this morning is this. Why you should be compelled to exalt Christ to all peoples. Why that should compel you. And we're going to look at four things this morning that should compel you to exalt Christ to all peoples. First, you're compelled when you understand the gospel. When you grasp the gospel, you're going to be compelled to want to do this. Second, you're compelled when you understand God's eternal purpose. When you understand his eternal purpose. You're compelled, when, thirdly, when you understand the power of the gospel. And then finally, you're compelled when you understand your responsibility. And so let's look at this. First, you're compelled to exalt Christ when you understand the gospel. Look at verse 25. Now to him who's able to establish you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ. Paul reveals that Jesus Christ is the subject matter of the gospel. In fact, he is the sub, sum and substance of the gospel. It's Christ and him crucified. And so in this letter to the Romans, it's all about the gospel of Christ. And Paul's burden was that his readers would understand the gospel, and, be, and by understanding it, they would go proclaim it, and they would help others, they would send others to go proclaim it. That's his burden. Now, when Paul wrote this letter in chapter 15, he he mentions why he wanted to go to Rome. He was burdened to go to Rome, and he tells us why. Look at chapter 15, verse 19. Right in the middle of the verse, Paul says this, So that from Jerusalem, and round about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, So that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see. And they who have not heard shall understand. For this reason I've often been prevented from coming to you. But now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I've had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I first enjoyed your company for a while so Paul says for years he's been preaching the gospel he started in Jerusalem he's made it all the way over to Illyricum well where's that well Illyricum was a province of Rome that was in modern day Albania well that's right across the Adriatic Sea from Italy so he went from Jerusalem all the way over to as far as he can go the next place to go is Italy and if I'm going to Italy I'm going to Rome And Paul says he has preached the gospel fully in all these regions. What does he mean by that? Well, he doesn't mean he preached Christ to every single person in those regions. But what he had done is start churches in all of those regions. And those churches now were moving out and penetrating their areas with the gospel. And so because of that, Paul was burdened to go to Rome. But he wasn't just simply burdened to go to Rome because he wants to go preach Christ where Christ has not been named. So the 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 reason why he wants to go to Rome is to visit these people and have them send him to Spain. He wants to keep going further west because the gospel hadn't penetrated there yet. Because he wants to exalt Christ in these places where Christ has not been named. And Paul simply assumed that these Christians in Rome would want to help send him Because they would have the same burden to exalt Christ in every place well having been prevented from going to Rome thus far Paul writes this letter and he lays out clearly the gospel what the gospel is and he reveals God's plan of exalting his son through the gospel to all peoples and when you grasp that what God is doing you're compelled like Paul to get out the gospel so let, let's see how Paul lays out the gospel for us in here in Romans. The first thing you need to understand is this. The gospel is God's gospel. This is God's gospel concerning his son. Let, let's look at Romans chapter 1. Go to Romans 1. And I want to go to Romans 1 because when Paul concludes his letter that we just read, he uses the same um, words in the, this first section as he introduces the letter. So they're bookends. He's using the same language. And notice how he begins. Verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So the subject Paul, of Paul's letter is the gospel, and he emphasizes something here. It's the gospel of God. This is God's declaration of good news. And he says, it's God's, It's the gospel of God, verse 3, concerning his son. So the gospel is the father's good news about his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 2, which he, the father, promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures. So this Good news that Paul and we proclaim is something God has promised beforehand in his holy scriptures through the prophets. That's the Old Testament. The Old Testament reveals promises of God's salvation, specifically that it would go to all peoples. And so when you read through the book of Romans, Paul is constantly quoting or alluding to the Old Testament to show that God's plan all along was to exalt his son to all peoples. And so that's what he does. He wants us to see that. The New Testament makes clear the promises of the Old Testament and show their fulfillment in Christ. And so God's the gospel is God's news of salvation to all peoples through his Son. And that's broadly what it is. But to understand how it's good news of how you can be saved, secondly, you need to understand your predicament and why you need to be saved. What are you being saved from? You got to understand that if it's actually going to be good news for you i mean if you were driving if you were on a drive and you were about to drive off a cliff because the bridge was out ahead of you you would want someone to warn you I, i remember that actually happened during the loma prieta earthquake where part of the bay bridge fell down and somebody actually drove off people were trying to get their attention and they didn't pay attention and they drove off Well, to truly grasp the danger that we're in, we need to understand what happened in the very beginning. How did did this world turn out the way it is? Well, when you look at Genesis, you see that God created man and the woman in his image and according to his likeness. And God blessed them, and he generously provided for them for everything that they needed. God created the man and the woman to rule over his creation. And God blessed them. But God also gave them one command. One command. Though you can eat freely to your heart's content, do not eat from this one tree. Because in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. One warning. Well, we know what happened. The man and the woman rebelled against God and they sinned by eating the forbidden fruit and God judged them. They experienced death Death is the result of sin. God didn't create us to die. God created us to live. God created us to enjoy him forever. But the penalty for man's rebellion was death, and death spread to all people because all have sinned. And what Paul shows here in the first three chapters of Romans is how both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. That would be all people. And if that's true, that means we're all in big trouble. So look at chapter 3. And we see here in chapter 3, Paul quoting the Old Testament. Look at verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? This is kind of the summary now of what he's been talking about. Not at all. We've already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. Everybody. As it is written, now he's going to quote the Old Testament. This is God's indictment on the human race. This is God's assessment of all people. Here's what he says. There's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they become useless. There is none who does good. There's not even one. That's God's assessment. God's indictment of the whole human race. Now, we could look around, we could probably see people, and we could think, well, that person seems pretty good. That person seems righteous. That's our maybe assessment, but God knows more than we know. God knows everything, He even knows your motives. And His indictment is that all have sinned, all deserve condemnation, all deserve eternal punishment. All deserve banishment from God and all that is good. And and listen, that's what hell is. Hell is the banishment from all that is good. You know, sometimes, you've probably had this happen to you, where you've talked to someone about the gospel, and you talk about their their need to be saved because they, they could be going to hell if they don't repent. And I've heard people mock God and say, well, if I'm going to hell, at least I'm going to be there with all my friends have you heard people say that no you won't you won't be there with your friends you're going to be all alone in utter darkness because all that is good is removed no light there no love no kindness no mercy no compassion no friends Jesus describes hell as darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's what everyone rightly deserves. So everyone is in a horrific predicament. Most people don't know that. Some people don't care. We're we're to warn people of the danger ahead. Well, how do you get out of this predicament so you can be right with God? What do you have to do... So God is appeased for, for your sin so you won't be judged. And what Paul reveals in Romans is that is this. There's nothing you can do. You can't do anything to make yourself right with God. There's no amount of good works. There's no amount of religion. There's no amount of sacrifices. There's no amount of giving that can make you right with God. The only way to be right with God is if God does something for you. And praise the Lord, God did something. Amen? He did something. We proclaim the gospel of God. And God revealed right from the beginning that when man sinned, he had a plan to graciously save sinners. So when Adam and Eve sinned and they began to experience the consequences of their sin, God lovingly and graciously promised to send salvation through a Redeemer. There would come a champion who would pay the penalty for man's sin through his death, but who would conquer death through his resurrection. And this champion would be a man, the seed of the woman. And we see that right in chapter 1, verse 3. This is the gospel concerning his son verse 3, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh. Jesus was a descendant of King David, according to the flesh. The word descendant and the phrase according to the flesh both emphasize Jesus was a man. He was fully human. He identified himself with fallen mankind. He became one of us. And when you read the story of the Old Testament... The Old Testament is just the story of God's plan, the unfolding of the story of God's plan to send a Redeemer. It's the story of how God chose a man, Abraham. And the story follows Abraham's family and his descendants who became the nation of Israel. And it's the story of how God would send a Savior through that nation. And what Paul emphasizes is that Jesus was born a descendant of David. He's physically related to David, and that's important because God promised David that one of his descendants would sit on his throne forever, reigning over the world because God created man to rule over his creation. Jesus was born a descendant of David, and thus he inherited the right to restore and rule David's kingdom And Isaiah the prophet picks up on that. He says this. This is Isaiah 9. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Oh, this is God's plan. It's going to happen He's going to reign through his son. That's what God's doing. That's where history's going. Jesus was a man, fully human. He's our king. He came as our champion. But Paul reveals something else here about Jesus. He's more than just a man. Because the gospel is concerning God's son. Verse 4 who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. This word declare, it's the Greek word that means uh, to mark off boundaries. It's, It's actually the Greek word horizon, from which we get the English word horizon, which refers to the demarcation line between the earth and the sky, which is very clear, right? You could go out and you can see the horizon. Well, the divine sonship of Jesus Christ was marked off with absolute clarity in the resurrection. It proved who he was. For through the resurrection, Jesus conquered sin and death, a power belonging only to God himself which demonstrated Jesus is God. So let that sink in for a moment. The person who came to save you was God himself. How glorious is that? God himself. The eternal God became man. The eternal God took on flesh. The one who was adored and worshipped came in obscurity nobody knew who he was and he became obedient to the point of death even death on the cross you see god became a man so he could die for you so he could be your substitute and die for your sin god did this because only god could save you But it was a man who had offended God. So we needed a man to pay the penalty for our sins. We needed a man who could represent us before a holy God. A man without sin. We needed a mediator between us and God. Jesus is that mediator. He's the God-man. And because he's fully God and fully man, the, the scriptures repeatedly reveal to us his majesty as you read through the new testament you just just it's just over and over again we have this unveiling of his glory he has unsearchable riches he abounds in power and goodness and love and compassion wisdom and knowledge It is Jesus who provides for all created things in heaven and on earth. And he simply has to open his hands and he satisfies the desire of every living thing. And while he's done that for millennium, he's never poor. He's always full. Jesus is universally wealthy in temporal things like land and commodities. Because the world is his and everything in it. But he's also affluent in spiritual things like goodness and wisdom and grace. And the Father presents his Son as exceedingly rich so sinners like us will know he can save us. By finding Christ, your soul finds a gem that's worth more than all the world. Because you can own the entire world and forfeit your soul. But if you have Christ, you have all things. There's no one like Christ. And so, by presenting the riches of Christ to the world, one of the things that God does is He takes away all excuses from the ungodly on the day of judgment. You are rejecting, when you reject Christ, you're turning your back on the one who's full of grace to pardon you. And so you will get what you deserve. I I, I plead with you, don't turn your back on Christ. Christ is presented to be so affluent because God's people need to know they have a complete redeemer. One who's rich in grace to help and power to support And goodness to relieve and mercy to comfort. That's our Christ. None but Jesus can accomplish this for his people. And so, if you have Christ, you don't need anything else. You have everything. And so, Paul, what he does here, he reveals how one is made right with God through Jesus Christ so that you don't face condemnation. So, the question then is this How are you made right with God? How does this happen? How do you uh, appropriate what Jesus has done for you? Well, Paul teaches that you're justified through faith in Christ. It's through faith. Look at chapter 3 again, verse 21. Chapter 3, verse 21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there's no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Notice Paul says you are justified through faith in Jesus. God's righteousness, getting right with God, is not attained by what you do. It's attained by what you believe. Justification is through faith in Jesus jesus christ the object of your faith is christ his person and his work so faith alone is the means of appropriating what jesus has done for you the question is have you believed that's the question have you believed all those who believe attain god's righteousness paul says i love this there's no distinction. I love that. If there's no distinction. If you believe, you will be saved. It doesn't matter, it doesn't make a difference if you were a religious person who grew up in the church, or that person has no advantage over the, person, the debauched person who's living an immoral life. No, if you believe in Christ, if you put your trust in Jesus alone, you will attain the righteousness of God. You will be saved. And just as no one is good enough to be saved, no one is so evil that they cannot be saved. That's the good news. Amen? And so it's for all who believe. So believe. Trust Christ. See, the reason it's by justification is through faith in Christ is because all have sinned. That's why it's by faith alone. We've all sinned, verse 23, which means you cannot be justified by what you do. Instead, you are justified as a free gift by God's grace. Look at verse 24. He says, being justified as a gift by his grace. The the verb here, being justified, is passive, which, which means it's something that happens to you. Justification is what you receive. It's not something you achieve. And what's interesting about the subject of that verb being justified, the subject of that verb is the all in verse 23, all who have sinned. But it's also, the subject is also the all of verse 22, all who have believed. So the ones who are justified are sinners who've believed in Christ. And the point is this because they've sinned, they can't justify themselves they need someone else to justify them now let me be clear when we're talking about justification justification is means to be declared righteous it's not a process it's a completed act where god makes a judicial pronouncement regarding you he declares That all of the demands of the law are fulfilled on behalf of the believing sinner. And they're fulfilled through the righteousness of Christ. And God sees you as perfectly keeping his law because he takes Christ's righteousness and he imputes it to you. And he takes your sin and he puts it all on Christ. What an exchange. What an amazing exchange. And when you trust in Christ, that's what happens. Your sins are put on Christ. His righteousness is put on you. And so God makes this judicial verdict righteous in my sight. What an amazing thought, huh? It's amazing because as a Christian, you know you still sin. And yet he still sees you as righteous. Praise God, huh? Paul says that this justification is a free gift. It's a gift of God's grace, and a free gift is a gift without strings attached. You know, sometimes you'll get a gift from somebody, and they're really just trying to earn your favor, right? They're, you know, they, it's kind of manipulative. They just—they're giving you this gift because they have some—some str- some strings are attached. But then sometimes people just give you a gift out of kindness. They're just being thoughtful. We always like those kinds of gifts, right? God offers justification as a free gift by his grace. It's rooted in his grace, unmerited favor. Favor given to those who don't deserve it. And notice the contrast here between verse 20 and verse 24. I want you to notice this contrast. Verse 20 says this. By the works of the flesh, no one will be justified in his sight. Verse 24. Being justified as a gift by his grace. See the contrast? Justification is what God does for you apart from anything you do. So you don't add to this. You can't add to this. You can't improve on what Christ has done. No flesh will be justified by works. No, you're justified as a free gift by His grace. So the moving cause of justification is God's grace. He loves to bestow favor on undeserving people. And the way you receive this is through faith. So the means of justification is by faith. The moving cause of justification is God's grace. Oh, But the basis of your justification is the blood and righteousness of Christ. And notice how Paul says this. Look at verse 24. Being justified as a gift by His grace through... Here's how how God can do this. It's through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. Notice you are justified through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Let's I want you to imagine for a moment you're on a jury and the defendant is accused of some very serious horrific things. And after hearing the testimony it's very clear this guy's guilty. You don't even have to debate more than 15 minutes. He's guilty. And so the jury comes out and gives the judgment to the the judge, the verdict to the judge, and the judge sees the verdict. And the judge knows he's guilty, but when he goes to pronounce sentence, he says, not guilty. That would be a mockery of justice. You would be angry. That's wrong. Right? That would be an unjust judge. Okay, so how can God remain just and declare ungodly people righteous? I mean, isn't that what God's doing? These people are guilty. We've already seen that. All have sinned. All have broken God's law. So how does God remain just in justifying ungodly people? Well, it's because of what Jesus accomplished. It's through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Redemption means simply to deliver somebody by paying a price. And so Jesus paid a price to set his people free from the penalty and power of sin. And the price that Jesus paid for your righteousness was his blood. It was a violent debt. And he gave his life as a substitute in your place. That's the incredible price paid. And Paul says that his blood propitiated the Father. What does that mean? Well, the word propitiation means God's wrath was appeased. It was satisfied. Satisfied in Christ. And so when Jesus suffered on the cross, and God's wrath was poured out on him in your place... That's his suffering appeased the Father for all of your sin. And that's why we make much of Jesus. Amen. That's why we glory in him, because he paid it all. It's interesting, Paul has discussed already the wrath of God here. He says that God's wrath abides over people because of their sin. And in chapter 2, he says it's because of their stubbornness and unrepenting heart that people are storing up wrath for themselves, which will be poured out on them on the day of wrath and the revelation of God's righteous judgment. Propitiation describes how God's wrath is appeased. You see, God's righteousness requires a propitiation that fully satisfies and vindicates his justice. Because God will by no means clear the guilty. And the only thing that fully satisfies his justice is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus is your only shield from the wrath of God. That's why he's the Savior. That's why we proclaim him. And it's applied, his sacrifice is applied to all who believe. That's why Paul adds here, through faith. It's when you trust in Christ and believe that he died in your place, paying in full for all your sins, that you'll be justified and made right with God. That is the only way to be made right with God. And that is the gospel we preach. Only the sinless Savior can pay the redemption for sinful people and this is again why we marvel and make much of Christ right that's why we marvel because, because the smallest token of his riches are far better they're more excellent they're more stunning they're more satisfying than all the possessions of the world and the scripture encourages you to sell everything for Christ because he is the pearl of great price. He is the hidden treasure. Christ has inexhaustible riches that begin with salvation, yes. Being saved from the penalty of your sin. Oh, but beloved, you know this. That's only the beginning of his riches. Because his riches are soul-satisfying. They, they quench your thirst. They satisfy your hunger. His riches are permanent. They never fade away. His riches are the most useful riches for your soul. Because when you're under the guilt of sin, only the resources of Christ can remove that. When you're facing temptation and you're under the afflictions of that, only the riches of Christ can strengthen you to defeat that. And when you're mourning under the grief, only the cares of Christ can help you. This is the glorious one who came into the world, took on humanity to save sinners. That's our Christ, right? If you believe that, if you believed in Christ and believed the gospel, does it compel you to want to go proclaim His excellencies? Oh, it should. See, this is why we need to rehearse the gospel to ourselves. Often. This is why we need to remind ourselves of what Christ has done during the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do tonight, right? Because we've got to be reminded of these truths because we forget. And when we're reminded of these things, we're compelled to give up our lives for him. Oh, beloved, let me just remind you, you're you're not here to live for yourself and your own dreams. That's not why you're here. That's not why God saved you. And we need to guard ourselves from idols. I mean, it is getting harder and harder to to live out some version of the American dream in California. I get that. Isn't it getting harder? But is that why God saved you? To live out some version of the American dream? Or does God have a greater purpose for you? See, we forget that, don't we? When you come to Christ, the Bible says you die to self, and what happens? You find life. Paul says it this way in Colossians 3, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Christ is your life. Christ bought you with his blood. You are to live for his glory. Knowing something, I have a glorious future, yes. I got a home in heaven, way better than Vallejo. Can't wait. It's a glorious future. And life now is a vapor. Life now is to be lived as a sojourner. That's how life is to be lived now. We're not to live as if we're going to make heaven on earth. That's not how we're going to live today. This world is Perishing. See, what we should be asking ourselves is this. What is God's plan for my life? That's what we should be asking ourselves. Listen, God has entrusted treasures to you. Spiritual treasures, physical treasures. Will you be a good and faithful slave? God has designed you to use you to be a witness for Christ. To use you to disciple others so they grow in Christ and become witnesses of Christ. That's your calling. That's why he saved you. And what happens is, is when you set your heart on his desires, guess what? They become your desires. They become your dream. Because it's satisfying. It fulfills. It's joyful. And so when you understand the gospel, you are compelled to give up your life for Christ so he's exalted. Okay, that's the first point. I've got three more. Secondly, you're compelled to exalt Christ when you understand God's eternal purpose. Go back to Romans 16. You're compelled to exalt Christ when you understand God's eternal purpose. Look at what he says here in verse 25. Now, to him who's able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past... But is now manifested and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith. Paul says the gospel, it's concerning Jesus Christ. He says that was a the revelation, that was a revelation of a mystery, he calls it, which has been kept secret for long ages past. So what's Paul saying? He's saying the gospel of Jesus Christ, of God becoming a man to save sinners from all peoples, that was something God planned in long ages past. In other words, this is God's eternal purpose, this is his plan. So the gospel of Jesus Christ going to all peoples is something God planned in eternity. And you have passages like uh, Ephesians 1 where Paul says that the Father chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Think about that. He chose you in Christ. So before, God, before man ever sinned, before God ever created man, before God even created the world, he had planned to rescue a people in Christ. So when Adam and Eve sinned, that, that didn't take God by surprise. It didn't put into action plan B. No, this has always been the plan. God planned in eternity to send his son to be the savior of the world. And Paul calls this a mystery that was kept secret. The, The word mystery in the Bible means truth that was hidden until the proper time. God planned this in eternity, yes. Paul says it's now manifested. It's being brought to light. It's being made known. It was first revealed through the scriptures of the prophets, which is the Old Testament. We saw that in chapter 1, right? There's many promises in the Old Testament that were concerning the gospel, concerning Christ, concerning going to all peoples. That's fulfilled in Christ. The New Testament reveals that. And this was according to the commandment of the eternal God, which means God alone determined to make known the mystery at the time he decided to make it known. And what was revealed was that the gospel of Christ is, was for all peoples. It's being made known to all the nations. And so the gospel, God sending a Redeemer, was not something simply for the Jews. God's plan all along was to go to all peoples. And, and you see that as early as Genesis 12. Right? You see that is, I mean, the first book of the Bible, twelfth chapter. God tells, promises Abraham, and you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is God's plan from the beginning, from eternity. It always has been for the gospel to go to all peoples, all nations. In Isaiah, in Isaiah, the Lord Jesus says this, and now says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be His servant, to bring Jacob back to Him, so that Israel might be gathered to Him. He says, the Father says of the Son, here's what the Father says, it's too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. That's too small. Oh, I'm sending you to go save them, to go redeem them, but not just them. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. That's what... Christ came to do, to save. He's the only Savior of the world, where he's purchased men with his blood from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. The majesty of Christ must be proclaimed. That's what God is doing, and if God is doing that, and we get on board with what God is doing, God's going to use us. And when you understand this, you're compelled to exalt Christ. To all people, see this is not only God's eternal purpose in Christ; it's His mission for you in the world. This is your mission. This is why the church exists. We're here to make much of Christ, and we're called to do it right here in Vallejo, in the surrounding cities. God has saved you; He's put you in a strategic place to reach people with the gospel. And we need to be committed to pray for that right that's where we're going to have a time of prayer i hope you come to that right we need to pray for this and we need to pray for specific people that god has put in your life and then we need to go proclaim christ to them because god has strategically put people in your family and in your workplace in your school and your extended family your neighbor whatever it puts people in your life And go talk to them. Just ask them how they're doing. They're going to tell you about some problem going on in their life, and you can point them to Christ. We must proclaim Christ. But this gospel can't just stay in Malayo. That's too small. It's got to go to the nations where he's proclaimed everywhere, even to the remotest part of the earth. Paul says this is the commandment of the eternal God. That's his commandment. This is what he's determined to do. The the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So you know what that means? When you go with the gospel, you go with his authority. You go with his power. That means it's going to be successful. Go with confidence. God's eternal purpose is to exalt his son. And when you understand that, you're compelled to use your life for the glory of Christ. Third, You're compelled to exalt Christ when you understand the power of the gospel. You're compelled to exalt him when you understand the power of the gospel. Look at Romans 16, verse 26. At the end of the verse, he says, It has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. The gospel leads to obedience of faith. Paul said that in chapter 1, where he says this, through whom we've received the grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his namesake. It's for his namesake. It's for his glory that Christ would have a worldwide reputation. Jesus deserves that, and the Father is determined to make sure it happens. And so Paul says, this is being accomplished by bringing about the obedience of faith. We've already seen that you're saved by faith. You're saved by what you believe about Jesus Christ. And when you believe, believing in Christ involves a surrendering to Him, a bowing to Him as your Lord and Savior. In other words, your faith produces obedience. Yes, you're saved by faith alone, but that, the faith that saves is never alone. It's always accompanied by obedience, or it's not true faith. So if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that faith will produce works. So Christ is glorified. In, in fact, the purpose of God saving you is for good works. That's the purpose of Him saving you. You're not saved by those works, but you're saved to produce good works, which he's prepared beforehand so that you would walk in. And those works that you're to do are to bring honor and glory to Christ. See, we we need to understand the power of the gospel. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for everyone who believes. The Jew and the Greek. It's the power. It displays the power. Why? Because God takes a dead sinner and radically regenerates him, makes him a new creation. And he has a new heart and he has new affections for christ and when the gospel is proclaimed god demonstrates his power in saving people like that and it's evident that they believed here's what paul says here in verse 25 look, look at this this is very helpful romans 16 25 now to him who is able to him who's able god has the ability to do something what, what, what is it He's able to establish, literally, to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Listen, you know how God strengthens you? The gospel is for believers. It's not just for unbelievers. We see its power in God saving unbelievers, but the power of the gospel is also for believers. God has the ability to strengthen you through the gospel, through the preaching of Jesus Christ. And I, I'll just be honest with you. When I was studying this, this strengthened me. I needed to be reminded of this. I needed to be stirred in my soul because of, for this. Because, I, because it's easy to get wayward. It's, it's easy to have these idols that you're pursuing. And then you're reminded of the gospel. And God uses that to strengthen you. I don't know how many times where I've I've heard brothers in our church just preaching the glories and wonders of Christ as I'm sitting in Sunday school or a men's meeting or Sunday night, and God uses that to convict me of things and to stir and refresh me in my longings for Christ and my affections for Christ. Oh, beloved, for the the sake of your soul, be under the preaching and teaching ministries of the church, right? Because God's going to use that to establish you, to strengthen you when you rehearse the gospel When you hear the preaching of Jesus Christ, that's what he uses. He'll strengthen the inner man. See, this is for your soul's sake. Oh, have you been wandering from Christ? Have you been in love with the world? Have you been pursuing idols? Oh, get back under the, the preaching of the gospel. And God will stir your affections again so you repent of that and you turn back to Christ see when you understand the power of the gospel you're compelled to exalt Christ last you're compelled to exalt Christ when you understand your responsibility when you understand your responsibility look at verse 25 Paul says now to him who's able to establish you according to my gospel Paul says this is my gospel. Now we, we already looked at it and saw that this is not Paul's gospel. This is God's gospel concerning his son. So what does he mean here? God God's gospel was entrusted to Paul. And beloved, it's been entrusted to you. It's been entrusted to you. You have a treasure. Think about that. You have the greatest treasure it's been entrusted to you what are you what are you doing with that treasure have you have you taken that treasure and just kind of hid it somewhere tucked away have you buried your treasure do you ever say anything about Christ to anyone you know the king is returning soon and he's going to hold us accountable Will he determine you're a worthless slave? Or will you take the gospel treasure that God has given you and will you be faithful to proclaim Christ? I mean, if we understand what we just heard this morning, oh, we should be compelled to do this. We we live in a city that desperately needs Christ. Christ. I mean, th- th- this, our city is ripe. There's a ripe harvest right here. Last Sunday afternoon, there was a sideshow on the corner of Rollingwood and Springs. That's near my house. And a man was ruthlessly beaten by numerous people. He was stabbed and shot and left for dead. And, and the mob even tried to prevent the ambulance from getting to the man. But you know what was the most appalling thing about that incident? Was the dozens and dozens of young people who got out their phone and were filming the whole thing as this man's getting beaten up like it was a circus. There's no fear of God before their eyes. Oh, this city needs the gospel, doesn't it? The news reporters, they interviewed several citizens who were scared to even show their face on television because they feared retaliation. Beloved, we have a gospel that gives people hope and delivers them from their fears, don't we? Don't we? We have a police department that is sorely undermanned that needs encouragement and needs to see the love of Christ. Oh, would you pray for them? Would you let them know you're praying for them? And maybe you can think of some ways to minister to them so they see the love of Christ. I mean, that would be an awesome thing for us to do. We, have a, we also, though, have a responsibility to see Christ's glory spread to all peoples. Like, like Paul, we, we need to go preach the gospel where Christ has not been ma- named. And this may mean training and sending some of you. But it may also mean this. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this. God is bringing the world to us. And so we need to pray. Let's pray together that God would save some of these people from around the world through your witnessing and that we can train and send back to these nations where there's unreached people groups. So let's pray for that. But you can also take part in this great work of Christ of exalting him to the nations by your giving to the missions fund. And so one of the things we just want you to do over the next few weeks is just prayerfully consider how much you will give to missions. This would be above and beyond your giving to the general fund. The general fund, you know, supports the ministries of the church here. And if there is no general fund, there is no missions fund. So your giving to the missions fund is beyond what you give to the general fund. And so we just want you to pray about that. Pray what the Lord wants you to do to exalt his name to all peoples. You know, this is something that God has challenged Becky and I through the years. And uh, it, it's always been a step of faith. Because when God moves in our heart to give more, we've got to trust that he's going to provide for our needs. And it usually means we're, we're cutting something, And so through the years, we've just learned, hey, we're going to live a more strategic lifestyle and we're going to maybe cut out some of these luxuries and these other things that maybe we don't really need and we're going to just give because we want to see Christ's name exalted to all peoples. I, I can tell you we've never regretted doing that. And I can also tell you God has been faithful to always provide more than what we need. It's been amazing actually to watch. It's increased our faith. And so, beloved, if you understand what Christ has done for you, you should be compelled to live for his glory. That would be seen in your giving. That would be seen in your prayers. That would be seen in your witnessing where you're telling of his glory to those around. Oh, may Christ compel us, amen, to be a people like that. Let's stand together and let's pray. Lord, we just want to praise you. We're, we're thankful that we have this time every year to just refresh our hearts and remind ourselves of the bigger picture. Lord, we need this. I know I need this. And so, Lord, I, I, I pray that you would work on each of us, work on our hearts, Lord, so that we would be compelled to get out the gospel both locally and globally. Lord, you deserve that. And, Lord, when, when a church is doing that, Lord, you're with them because this is what you're doing. And Lord, we don't want to be left behind. We don't want to be a a, a church that God's not working in. We have the privilege of doing this. And so, Lord, stir our hearts afresh in these things. We'll give you praise, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.